now for your feature presentation. One, or two, or three, or four, five, or five. What's up, list nerds? I am your host, ex-video store clerk, undiscovered screenwriter, and fellow list nerd, Jason Kleberg. And this is Force 5, the show where I force my guests to come up with a movie-themed top five list topic, and then we reveal our picks on air. Now, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I'm not an avid reader, but when I do get into a book, it's much like when I get into a video game. I'm not putting that thing down until I've completed it. And there have been several books over the years that I've read and thought would make amazing films. So I was pretty psyched when the amazing actor Rebecca Kennedy zeroed in on the topic of five books that need film adaptations. And not only do we talk about the books that need to be adapted, but we also speculate on who we would hire to direct and sometimes even star on screen. And uh, since we recorded this episode, one of our picks was actually already announced as being adapted. So stay tuned for that one. This was a really fun episode to record, and Rebecca was absolutely lovely, so please check out some of the films that she's in, including The Unseen, which will be out June 30th. Before we get to that, however, uh, I've got a review. This is uh, one that was requested by one of my Patreon listeners, Eric Peacock from the Soundtracker podcast. He wanted me to watch A Rage in Harlem from 1991. The Good Brother. Thank you for not putting obstacles in my way, such as women. The Bad Brothers. I got one rule in life. Don't give nothing to nobody. And one ugly mother. Who's that? That's his mom. Damn! They're all after the sister with a chest of stolen gold. Do we know you? Not in this lifetime. Oh! Looks like there's gonna be a rage in Harlem. Did you hear what they said? There's gold in Harlem! You're a virgin, Jackson. You wanna ask me a question like that? I'll take that as a yes. I do believe you and I would cut out to do business together. Yeah, baby. Straighten that panel! <laughs> you get the woman, I get the gold. Woman, gold. The first time I'd heard of A Rage in Harlem was on Billy Ray Bruton's Incinerator podcast during my game against Eric. It was one of his picks because we were incinerating Miramax films, and he was surprised that I hadn't seen it. And it did not have a good Blu-ray. It still doesn't. It wasn't streaming at the time. And so it kind of went to my back burner list until Eric picked it as his listener request. So I ordered the DVD and uh, got the DVD in. The film takes place in the 50s, and it starts with a post-heist exchange between two groups. One, Slim, whose gangsters have stolen a bunch of gold from a mining company, and Lester, who's going to fence this stuff for him. Lester tries to double-cross Slim, and there's a shootout, a really exciting shootout. And the only one left alive once the bullets stop flying is Slim's girlfriend, Imabel, who makes off with the case of gold right before the cops arrive. During the commotion, she found out that the only person who can move this kind of gold is a man named Easy Money who runs Harlem, so that is where she's headed. Now, she doesn't have any cash on her. All she's really got is this case full of gold, and she can't do much with it, so when she gets to Harlem, she's short on cash, and she weasels her way into the Undertaker's Ball, which I honestly hope is a real thing, where she meets this guy named Jackson, a devout servant of the Lord and bookkeeper for the local funeral home. She easily seduces him in order to stay at his place while Easy Money comes back into town, a plan that could have worked if... Slim didn't show up in Harlem, alive and eager to get his gold back. Other characters of note here include Goldie, Jackson's stepbrother, who he does not get along with because of his life choices, and Big Kathy, who runs the local whorehouse. As usual, I'm going to start with the good here. The actors are all doing really commendable work, and I love the fact that the entire cast and writer and director were all African-American. Forrest Whitaker plays Jackson, a nervous, fumbling virgin who has never gone against the cloth. And while I don't necessarily believe his journey, the whole ditching his cross for a gun so quickly after getting his first taste of a female, I do think he's really good in this role. Badjajola, who plays Slim, is great as the ruthless gangster looking for his bounty. Gregory Hines, who plays Jackson's stepbrother Goldie, or Sherman, his real name, kind of steals the show from an acting perspective. We see him go from con man to heartbreak, and it is all really impressive. He's great in this movie. 
And finally, in her first role on screen, Robin Givens is so gorgeous in this role as Imabel that it was almost distracting. There's a sex scene in this film that is, man, it's one of the sexiest scenes without nudity that I may have ever seen. It is very well shot and Givens is alluring. Uh, speaking of visual vibes, the film is shot really well. It was filmed in Cincinnati, but you'd never be able to tell that. The sets do have an odd backlot quality to them, like at any time Roger Rabbit or Dick Tracy could stroll through, and the low-key jazz soundtrack adds quite a bit to the film. Now, narratively, this film is a mess, and it all starts with the tone. So there's this funny moment when a couple of mooks break into Jackson's house when they see two pictures on the wall. One is Jesus, and one is Jackson's deceased mother. And one of the guys makes a joke about it, and then 10 minutes later... Another group of people walk in and make the exact same joke. And it was about this time that I paused the movie to see if IMDb had the film listed as a dark comedy because I was picking up some of that at that point. There were definitely some like off the wall dialogue choices and strange visual cues at play, but it was not listed as a comedy anywhere. So I read up a bit after I watched it on the production, and apparently there was an on-set spat between the writer, Stephen Woolley, and the director, Bill Duke, about the tone. In a 2010 interview on BBC, Woolley said, quote, About halfway through, we were looking at a scene, and I turned to Bill and said, You know what? That wasn't quite as funny as it was in the script, and I don't know why. And he said to me, We're not making no goddamn comedy. I'd raise the entire money for this film on the basis that it was a comedy. It was Chester Himes, it was supposed to be funny, and a shiver went down my spine. I hoped that Bill was joking, but I realized he thought we were making Porgy and Bess. End quote. And while Bill Duke wanted to play this film straight, it's tough to take characters seriously when they're saying they've got to go wee-wee and talking about licking ass and doing whatever the fuck Danny Glover is doing as this heartless gangster who just loves his fluffy little puppy named Pepe. His character Easy Money definitely borders on outright parody. And scenes often bounce from kinetic violence to sappy romance to goofy slapstick. And look, I'm always on board for tone switches if the film is doing them intentionally, but it feels kind of like Bill Duke was filming comedic beats on accident. And then uh, the other complaint I have about the movie is that the climax in the film is guilty of the cliched bad guy gets shot through the back at the last possible moment, but I wonder who's holding the gun moment, and there's just no mystery as to who pulled the trigger before the film confirms your suspicion. Now, I do think Bill Duke is a talented director. I love Deep Cover. I liked Hoodlum. I even like a lot of the television episodes he's directed, but I just could not get on board with this one in full. If I had seen it, I probably would have incinerated it sooner on the Incinerator podcast. Now, of course, my take is just one out of many. The film is pretty positively reviewed overall. I think it ranks like high 60s on Rotten Tomatoes. Roger Ebert gave the film three stars in print, correcting his negative review on television by saying, quote, When I first saw the film screen for critics in Chicago, I found it cluttered with minor characters and aimless scenes and gave it thumbs down on the Siskel and Ebert TV program. Then, Miramax, the film's distributor, discovered it had mistakenly shipped an earlier version of the film. The final version, which I subsequently screened, has been edited down by 10 minutes, removing confusion, abbreviating or eliminating characters, and focusing on the love story. End quote. This film debuted on May 3rd, 1991, and came in at number 7 at the box office behind Oscar, the uh, Sly Stallone film, One Good Cop, A Kiss Before Dying, Toy Soldiers, Steven Seagal's Out for Justice, and Silence of the Lambs, which was in its sixth week. But if you dig in, that's actually not a bad debut for the film, considering it was only shown in 540 theaters, whereas One Good Cop, which was the other film debuting that week and came in at number two, was shown in over 1,300 theaters. Had this film, had A Rage in Harlem been shown in the same amount of theaters, it easily would have been number one at the box office for that week. Side note, there's a running thing that Slim says before he shoots where he says, Pop goes the weasel, which is something that one of my characters in my very first screenplay would say right before he shot his sniper rifle. So I'm sure that whoever read that in that time that had seen A Rage in Harlem thought that I was ripping that off for some reason. I assure you, I was not. 
if you have a film to recommend to me, hit me up on Twitter. My DMs are open. Hit me up on Instagram or email me at force5podcast at gmail.com. I love listener recommendations, and uh, I'm not going to be getting them from Patreon for the foreseeable future because uh, I've made some changes to the Patreon. More news on that next week, but the Patreon folks already know. But yeah, if you want to recommend me stuff, hit me up on Twitter, on Instagram, or on the website. All right, it's time to get Rebecca Kennedy in here to talk about books that need to be adapted. But first, we've got to talk about this week's sponsor, the World Vision Song Festival, presented by Boogaloo International Music. The World Vision Song Festival is an immersive music festival, two transformative weekends on Cobra Island, a remote private island in the Gulf of Mexico. The best in food, art, music, and adventure, all happening on an island once owned by Cobra Commander. On the boundaries of the impossible quest to make things possible. The World Vision Song Festival is both a festival and an experience featuring the Venus in Furs, Barry Jive and the Uptown Five, the Lone Rangers, the Commitments, the Wild Stallions, Alfie and Bibi, and possibly Ja Rule. Get your tickets now at mrboogaloo.com and join the quest for survive. I mean music today. Welcome back to the Force 5 podcast. Today I am here with actor Rebecca Kennedy. Since her big screen debut in 2011's Nick Cage film, Season of the Witch, she's been working mostly in horror ever since, and her latest film, Two Witches, is one of the best anthology kind of films. Would you call it a, an anthology film, Rebecca? Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's got two stories. Yeah, absolutely. Rebecca, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you for the the kind words. I'm so glad you loved the movie. Oh, uh, yeah, I love the movie, and... Let's talk about Two Witches real quick, because it is really one of the most interesting anthology movies I've seen in a very long time. You play Masha, uh-huh. the the roommate from hell who could, <laughs> like, I'm you know, I, I process things in top five lists, and it's like, okay, top five terrible roommates, top five witches, even top five character introductions could be, it could probably make that list. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you. I will take all those lists. <laughs> <laughs> What was it like playing a character like this, which is pretty different, as I understand it, from like a lot of your roles, just a complete psychopath? Yeah, I've never played a villain in in true form. Um, you know, I've played some people that maybe weren't the best, um, but they were doing trying to do their best. And, you know, this, like you said, was really just um, she was just pretty evil. But, you know, of course, as an actor, you know, Rebecca sees that but as an actor, you know, you can't see yourself like that as the character, you know, every character is the hero of their own story. So I had to look at her. She was doing what she needed to do to survive and how, you know, she felt most of her life that she wasn't seen and was kind of ignored and people thought she was weird and kind of strange. And yeah, maybe she was, but, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I had to look at it, you know, kind of from that point of view and like what it would be like, um, because I think we all can relate to that. I think we all can relate to feelings of inadequacy and that people don't really see us. And, you know, you could slip into a room and nobody would even notice. And so I kind of, you know, went at it from that point of view. And then, of course, you put all the fun, crazy stuff she does on top. <laughs> but that, you know, that hopefully gives her a little bit more um, layers and uh things to you know things that I can do other than just being the bad guy but of course and you know enjoying it as well um was really important because especially once she got her powers um you know this was something that she never experienced before it's like oh man like I gotta enjoy this too (laughs) (laughs) yeah and those layers really do come through you mentioned uh you know she is a little bit weird and she actually well you she actually says in the movie, like, to her roommate, sorry, I'm a little bit weird. And that definitely comes through in that moment. Yeah, because, you know, if, if you're somebody that's been told something enough times, you start to believe it, you know. Yeah. Um, and you start to see yourself that way, whether it's right or wrong. Um, in this case, probably right. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's like she knew it, but she couldn't stop it. You know, it's like she couldn't stop how she was. 
Yeah, and, and listeners, if you have not seen Two Witches, you can watch it streaming on Arrow right now. You can buy the Blu-ray, which is an amazing Arrow Blu-ray. It's got a ton of special features, two commentaries. I highly recommend this movie. Like I said, it's an anthology movie in that there are two stories about two different witches. They're, like, loosely connected. They, they t- obviously take place in the same universe, as you find out. It's a really, really fun movie, and it's very scary, and it's very macabre. Like, that first story, I wasn't sure how how I was going to move into the second story after the first one hits, <laughs> and your story is the second one, but yes. just starts off with, with a real roller coaster and kind of goes from there. There's some great body horror elements. There's some, uh, well, I don't even want to say it, but I'll just say the, the scene that you take part in with the jaw. Yes, is, yes, uh, <laughs> yes. Like, made me squirm in my seat, and I've seen a lot of horror movies in my time, so bravo there. Well, thank you. You know, that's a really testament to our director, Pierre, who did most of the effects practically. Um, You know, very, very little CGI, um, including the faces. Most of the faces were our own. Um, You know, so he was able to capture in in different, based on the lighting and the angles, and, uh, you know, it's just really his his brilliance. Because I I love when stuff is done as practically as possible. It's just you know, obviously so much better for the actor, too. Yeah, same here. Same here. What was it like working for a first-time director? Because that was his first feature, right? First feature, yes. Um, he had done a short film, but first feature, he was great. I mean, we didn't, we just, I don't know, we just clicked. Um, I just understood this character uh, really from the very beginning when I first, uh, when they first sent me the script. And for whatever reason, she just made a lot of sense to me. And you know, it was funny because like in the script, it would like at the beginning, you know, when you like you said, when you first meet her, she's kind of in a compromising position <laughs> of it. And, you know, it was like in the script, it just said like scary face. And it's like, I just, we just worked, we just clicked. Like I understood what that meant. And then we just found it together. Um, like I didn't have to be like, wait, what is this? Like, I just, I don't know. I just knew, you know, uh, what he wanted and we, then you know then we would try different things on camera and and see what worked best um, based on the lights and the angle and and what was scary because you know sometimes you do things and it works or it doesn't but you know he was just really lovely just uh, very clear in what he wanted uh, knew exactly um, but also was willing to play and try things and uh, see uh, you know what we could get and also open to ideas um, like the I don't know if you remember it's like a little part uh, where after you mentioned after the teeth, after I get, uh, you know, kind of, uh, confronted by a character, um, you know, and I just look in the mirror and, you know, just kind of wiping away my, you know, my, uh, the mascara, mascara that's yeah. stripped or whatever. And that was just something that we came with, up with like right on the spot. I was like, Hey, like, Hey, let's grab this shot real quick. Like how cool, you know, how it, this be might be interesting. And, uh, it worked and he ended up using it. So he was really open to also, uh, what other, you know, interesting things could make could make it um, that much better. So he was really great. Well, the chemistry clearly shows on screen. It's an amazing movie. And again, listeners, if you haven't seen Two Witches, go seek that out. That came out 2021, so fairly new. Yeah, end of. Yes, yes, yeah, fairly new. And it's always Halloween, right? So it's never, <laughs> never a bad time to watch scary movies. Exactly. And hey, if you don't want to take our words for it, the Rotten Tomato score is probably something, it's, it's around like 90%. So yeah. everybody's loving that movie. Go check it out. Now, Rebecca, you have a couple of other movies on the way. We've got The Unseen first coming out in June. Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So uh, that one is hard because I can't uh, spoil <laughs> too much because it's not out yeah, yet. Of course. Uh, it's a little harder to talk about my character because my character is a very spoilery. <laughs> But I will say it's about a. It's with R.J. Mitty um, from Breaking Bad, and uh, he plays a, a young lawyer who uh, starts uh, being haunted by something. So that's a little bit of what it's about. And uh, great, we filmed in uh, Chicago uh, last summer. Great, ca- amazing cast and crew. I just had a really great time. Got to do my own stunt uh, in it, which was oh, really nice. fun. Which I'm excited to talk more about and be able to talk more about my character once once it comes out but uh, like you said it comes out june 30th in theaters and uh you know vod all the places that you can see things so i'm super excited for people to see it. it's really fun uh much different much different than two witches uh but still in the same you know like horror thriller vein sure well i'm really looking forward to that that's gonna be exciting and you're about to 
kick off another movie because we were talking about scheduling this and yes. you said, well, I, I can't do it in May because I'm going to be filming Crust. Yeah. So uh, again, obviously really early stages. I know you probably can't say much, but what can you tell us about Crust? Yeah, so I can tell you what it's about. Uh, so Crust uh, stars uh, Sean Whalen. Uh, people don't know who he is. Uh, people Under the Stairs, Twister, uh, Never Been Kissed, like all of the classics <laughs> he's been in. Um, he's a wonderful actor and friend, and he's also directing the movie as well. Um, he plays uh, a guy named Vegas, who was a child star back in the day, had a show that d was really successful, and then after the show was canceled, his career kind of fizzled out. And now he's, you know, older and, and uh, you know, obviously a grown man and works in a, and owns a laundromat. And... Uh, you know, when people leave socks behind, he goes around and, and collects them and, you know, uses them to, you know, wipe his nose, dry his tears. He's bullied a lot. You know, he doesn't quite fit in. And when he cries into the socks, they become this sock monster called Crest. It's <laughs> such a bonkers premise. Yes. Love it. That starts avenging his enemies. So in that, I play Neela, who becomes his uh, love interest. So... Um, who is a, you know, kind of a strange and uh, unusual, quirky person herself and is, you know, a little bit lost and looking for uh, for someone, you know, to see her as well. So they kind of find each other. Um, but yeah, it's a bonkers premise, but the script is fantastic. We have a legit uh, practical puppet, who, which is going to be awesome, which I've met him. <laughs> <laughs> and we have a puppeteer that's going to be working on set with us and uh, she's amazing, and it's. I'm just, yeah, like I said, it's early stages. We start in May, May 1st, um, but I'm really excited uh, to be working on this. I've never played a part quite like this, so um, in that respect, uh, so it's gonna be, it's gonna be really fun, and I'm excited for people to uh, to see it. I mean, plot synopsis alone sounds like it could become just a, an immense cult classic. Yes, that's what we're hope hopeful for. Yeah, and it also has Alan Ruck from Succession and Twister and Daniel Roebuck and Felissa Rose and just a lot of great, uh, amazing actors. And I'm sure there'll be some, you know, maybe some surprise cameos in there from other, you know, you never know. So <laughs> Sean Whalen, that's a, a great, he's a, he's a great actor. I remember him from Tammy and the T-Rex. Have you ever seen that film? I have not actually. Oh my God. You have to seek out Tammy and the T-Rex. Okay. It's Paul Walker. <laughs> A very young Paul Walker and Denise Richards, and Paul Walker dies, and they put his brain into a little T Rex dinosaur. Okay, all right, I'm in. I'm I'm sold. <laughs> it's yeah, it's bizarre, and of course the uh, the Aaron Burr got milk commercial. Yes. Remember? Oh yes, that's I remember that commercial very 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 well. Um, it played probably all the time, uh, for a really long time. Uh, it's funny because, you know, when I announced I was working with him, uh, say like people knew from other, you know, from, from all different things. It was like one of my good friends, uh, texts me and she's like, are you working with the guy from Never Been Kissed? And then it's like, you know, it's like just different people know from different, uh, things. So he's, he's been a lot of cool, uh, cool projects. Yeah, for sure. That Got Milk commercial, by the way, directed by Michael Bay. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's crazy because, uh, I did a, my, my only commercial I've done in LA, I, I haven't done many commercials. Uh, was with Craig Ellipsy, who directed like I, Tanya and has done, oh, yeah. you know, it's doing really well. So a lot of great directors uh, direct commercials. All right, Rebecca, before we get into our topic, one last question for you, just to get a sense of your taste on film. What are some of your favorite films of all time? It's so hard. I know. That is so hard because it's like an all time that like feels like such pressure, but <laughs> such, uh, commitment. such commitment because, you know, but I have a, a list of, you know, um, I wrote some down because I was like, I hate trying to think on the spot and then I will think of no movies because I'm like, I've never seen a movie before. Um, so, you know, obviously this is just a taste because there are so many great movies. And I and I kind of went back more older, old older movies instead of like, you know, now. But um, so I'll just list a few and then um, I don't know if you want to list some of yours. But uh, so we're going to go with uh, Silence of the Lambs, of course, uh, because, you know. You know, you know, uh, <laughs> Fight Club, uh, Saving Private Ryan, The Usual Suspects, uh, Jurassic Park is one of my favorites. I can watch the original one, especially the first one, just over and over, and it just never gets old. And it just lives up to 
um, especially with it being like all practical and filmed mm-hmm. so long ago, it still is beautiful, I think. Uh, uh, Taxi Driver, uh, Shawshank Redemption, uh, we'll go to with E.T., love that movie, and another one would be uh, The Dark Knight. So those those are uh, just a few, because, I mean, so many good movies. Yeah, so many classics on that list. Yeah. Wonderful to hear Shawshank on there and um, Jurassic Park. Like, you know, I got a four-year-old, and I'm just waiting until he's of the age where I can throw on Jurassic Park for the first time with him because, yeah, that that movie stunned me as a kid and still stuns me today. Still is beautiful. Like, lives, yep, still holds up. All right, well, let's get into our topic here. We're going to be talking about five books that need film adaptations. So what drew you to this topic? So I'm a huge book nerd. Uh, I read a lot. I'm actually behind this year on my reading goal. <laughs> um, I don't know if you have, I have the app Goodreads and it can, you know, it uh, keeps track of all your books that you're reading. So I'm like, I'm, I'm like five behind. It's bad um, on my, on my goal, but <laughs> I mean, good reasons when you're busy, you know, it's, it's good. It's good to be, to be busy, but um, so yeah, so I thought it would be fun because, because I love to read and also, you know, obviously an actor. So I thought this would be a fun, uh, fun topic. And I often read books and think, oh my God, this would be an amazing movie. And then usually whenever I am done with it and I look it up, it usually is or becomes one down the road or something like that happens because, you know, um, that's what's happening nowadays. So yeah, I, I don't have the Goodreads app, but I know of the Goodreads app. I need to read more. Most of mine are books that I read a long time ago. When it comes to books, do you prefer like the physical book or are you okay with the e-reader? I know a lot of people are one way or the other. So I used to be very um, big on reading the actual, holding the actual book. And that was like sacrilegious not to. (laughs) But when the pandemic hit, our libraries closed down. And the only option we had was on, you know, on a Kindle or so I got an iPad for Christmas uh, recently. And so I've been reading a lot on there. Um, it does. I did move um, recently. And so my library is no longer close. I used to be able to walk to my library, which was amazing. Now it's like a 10 to 15 minute drive, which isn't far, but it is far if you're not. It's out of your way. Right. Yeah. So I've been reading more on more and more on my iPad um, th- through the apps. The library apps um so not quite the same but it works it still works i've always been kind of an adopter of technology so when ebooks came out i i experienced that it's like yeah i, I, could, I could live with this i definitely love having them all in one device versus having books taking up a lot of space i know i yeah i well and i um uh, i have stacks yeah it it yeah. is uh it does get to be a problem well, you had some really good adaptations on your uh, on your favorite film list, like yes. Jurassic Park and yes. Shawshank Redemption. Yep. So hopefully, some producer will listen to this and be like, "Yeah, that's a great a great idea for a movie. I should option that. I should make yeah. Well, and all mine are going to be relatively uh, newer ones, so it'll it'll okay. work out nice and suit. Because a lot of the ones I thought about that were older had already been made into. <laughs> Yeah. They've been made into movies. I've got like one newer one, but most of mine are a little bit older. So this would be a good mix. This will be well, fun. That, yeah, it'll be a good, it'll be a great mix. Okay, cool. Rebecca Kennedy, are you ready to get into this list? I am ready. You know what's going to happen? I mean, know what's happening. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know. Boris, you just made the list. I don't know. climb. I did this on mine. I don't know if you want to do this on yours or not, but I was... I thought it would be kind of fun to speculate on who might direct the movie or might star in the movie. Again, I know I'm throwing this at you like last minute, but if you want to do that, totally cool. If not, don't worry about it. Uh, I will. I'll do it on my picks, though. Okay, I can't promise, but we'll maybe because what we'll probably not have heard of the book. That's Um, true. So I will give like a little short uh, kind of synopsis. And then um, if you have anything that comes to mind, uh, like, oh, this was so-and-so would be great. Um, feel free to throw it out. We'll work on it together. We'll yeah. work, workshop it. Yes, exactly. All right. Well, my number five here, I'm going to start with a crime book. I'm huge into crime books, but this one's more of like an action comedy style crime book by one of my favorite writers. It is from 2008. It's a book called Severance Package, and the, dire- or the, the director, the writer, <laughs> is Dwayne Swarzynski. 
Have you ever heard of Severance Package? I have not. So tell me, tell me more. All right. So Severance Package is uh, this guy, Jamie, his boss calls him into a special Saturday meeting for all key personnel. He works in this giant office building at 9 a.m. on this uh, August Saturday morning. So he and his coworkers arrive and the conference room is just stocked up with cookies and champagne and orange juice, like mimosas for breakfast here. And his boss sits everybody down and says, we're a cover for the branch of a intelligence community and we're being shut down. So everybody drinks some champagne and in a few seconds you'll fall asleep for good. And if you refuse, I'll shoot you in the, in the head. Oh, perfect. <laughs> okay. Setup, yeah. Okay. Love it. Love it. Escape is not an option. The boss has shut down the elevators. He has rigged the fire towers with chemical bombs so nobody can get out. And of course, panic sets in, chaos erupts, and nobody is sure who to trust. It's a wild action comedy. It's part of the Philadelphia trilogy. I guess that's what they call it. It's unofficial. Along with Wheelman and The Blonde, which were both also obviously written by Dwayne Swarzynski. Uh, I don't think he's had any of those three adapted, although there is a Netflix movie called Wheelman that has a lot of similarities to his book. And if he wasn't like a ghost producer on that thing, because he's not credited on IMDb, if he wasn't involved with Wheelman, he probably has grounds for a lawsuit on that one. Right. Um, but it's it's got great fight scenes, some really graphic kills, and it just never takes itself too seriously. It's a very dark comedy. Now, when I read this book, I was thinking like, okay, who would play these characters? There's two characters that I want to talk about. One is Molly, who's who starts out really meek, but turns out really badass. And for that character, I was thinking of uh, Charlize Theron. Okay. Or Love Angelina her. Jolie. Yeah, yeah. I think they would be both would be badass. And then for the for the main character who's kind of a meek little uh dork, I was thinking Martin Freeman. Okay. Yeah. Who, you know, played Jim in the UK version of The Office and he was in Fargo as well. I I think those would be great choices for that. In terms of directors, um I don't know, with, with uh, Severance being out, maybe Ben Stiller. Maybe yeah. Ben Stiller would be. He's a great director. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my number five Severance package from 2008. All right. Um, okay. Well, my first one is I just finished recently reading, and it I think would be a fun, a fun horror for sure. It's called How to Sell a Haunted House. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Uh, pretty straightforward on that uh, by Grady Hendrix. Um, just oh, came wow. out recently. Uh and he's he is the same author that did uh, my best friend's exorcism, that just uh, was on uh, released on Amazon Prime uh, recently. He also wrote that, uh, but this is basically about uh, a brother and sister who their parents both die in a car accident, and they are left uh, with the house with the parents' house to sell it, and when they first start, uh, you know, getting things ready. Um, things start happening and what's interesting is it's kind of Annabelle meets Chucky a bit the mother collected dolls and uh one in particular uh the one that they had from their childhood and they basically without giving too much away because you know it's more fun to read and find out uh the the dolls start coming to life so and they're not <laughs> obviously not in good ways <laughs> so it's kind of crazy uh, kind of zany, um, but it was really just a fun, really fun read, um, especially to imagine it, it coming to life. I'm sure it probably will be made because it just isn't easy, um, sell, I feel like, you know, with like, uh, movies nowadays, uh, and, and just, uh, some, you know, definitely some, you know, you had to like suspend your imagination quite a bit, but, uh, I mean, they had, you know, things like, uh, the brother, had this imaginary dog growing up um and it wasn't like a normal dog because it was in his imagination and the dog shows like shows up at the house and so it's just like really interesting uh kind of zany uh, ideas and i had a really fun time reading it so that's what i would like to see i have no idea for who though it seems like i mean doll movies you can get a lot of mileage out of out of killer doll movies or animated doll movies so yeah i think of movies with those animated dolls i mean gerard johnstone just did megan yeah and i and i loved it i loved megan so he'd be great annabelle's uh john john leonetti could you know tackle something like that and Uh it'd be great for that 
Yep. Well, that is a great segue to my number four because I've also got a Grady Hendrix on here. Oh, perfect. And this is one that I think you could be a star in, and that is the Final Girl Support Group. Oh my God, I had that one on my list too. <laughs> wow, I did not know wow. that. I did, <laughs> I did not think we were going to have crossover. That is so amazing. Um, this one I actually think might be better as a film than a book because it is a slasher and part of the fun of slashers are those jump scares that are really hard to do in books. In books, yeah. Yeah, so if you've never heard of the Final Girl Support Group, it is, well, everybody here listening should know what a Final Girl is. It's the one woman who's left standing when the credits roll. And this is about one of those final girls, Lynette Tarkington. She survived a massacre 22 years ago, and it's haunted her ever since. And she's found out that she's not alone. She has been meeting with five other final girls and their therapist in a support group for final girls. And, uh, all of the members of the support group are characters that we are familiar with, although they are uh, fictionalized. Versions, yeah. Yeah, so like you get Adrian, who was a camp counselor who survived a killer who claimed that he was seeking revenge for uh, his son, which obviously Friday the 13th, you've got one from like Chainsaw, Texas Chainsaw it's Massacre, Massacre. Mm-hmm. Yep. Halloween, um, all, all the dream killer, you know, Friday, or, or um, Freddy. Nightmare uh-huh. on Elm Street, yeah. Yep. There's all these all these different ones, and it is really gory. It's really gruesome. It's super over the top. It's also really darkly funny. And I, I, there was one quote in there. I wrote it down. I really think this quote is great. It says, "Men who don't men don't have to pay attention the way we do. Men die because they make mistakes. Women, we die because we're female." Which I thought yeah. was a really yeah. like poignant point on the slasher genre. Um, before I get into like who I think would direct or uh, act in it, what are your thoughts on the Final Girl Support Group? I loved it. I thought, especially um, like we read it part as part of my like book club that I have, and I have a book club on Instagram, uh, but uh, called Actors Who Book, and it's definitely like my one friend isn't as into slasher movies, so it didn't really makes as much sense to her because she didn't really connect like because they don't like you said they don't explicitly say in the book what movie it's from you have to kind of put it together yourself based on the clues um and so for her it like fell a little bit more flat because she didn't um she doesn't watch those so like for, for me who does who's seen them all i loved it because i was like oh this is like once you knew what they were from then what they were saying made so much sense like the girl you know, from Texas Chainsaw, like, you know, she's like, we made a little comment about her purse and how she would never have a leather purse, you know, it's like stuff like that, where you just like, you're like, oh, that's clever, you know, it was, um, so I loved it. I would think absolutely, obviously would make a wonderful movie. That's why I also had it on my list. <laughs> <laughs> what did you have it at? Uh, what number was it on your list? It was my last one. It was my last one. So. Oh, I mean, really? I didn't so it's your number one. Well, I didn't really do it in order of like, it was just like out of a random order. It wasn't necessarily sure. like, oh, this is my top, like if I four, three, two, one. But um, right. uh, yeah, that's funny. So I'll, I'll think of something else maybe to put in, in its place. But uh, well, yeah, I don't have to. It's cool if we match up. It's, it, that's I love really that because like there's so many books out there and the fact that we did is is amazing. Yeah. So I think you got to get some modern scream queens in this. Yeah. So dream casting. OK, for dream casting, the therapist, I would say jamie lee curtis oh yeah yeah i mean it just makes yeah. all the sense it makes all the sense yep yep and then in terms of our final girls i mean obviously you've worked in horror for a very long time you could be in there right i think micah monroe uh-huh be yep would be great must. uh-huh yep mia goth yeah another must yeah and then the other one dream casting jenna ortega oh she's like great yeah hot yeah scream queen of course when i'm thinking about directors I think their radio silence would be a great pair of directors for this. They just did the new Scream films, but they also did Ready or Not, which I think is an amazing kind of uh, comedic horror film. Yeah, it's great. From 2019. Uh And then if not radio silence, the other one I was thinking for this was Brian Duffield, who did Spontaneous from 2020. If you you haven't seen Spontaneous. Oh, I I haven't. So I need to put that on my list. 
Yeah, check that one out. That's a really kind of a horror comedy, but uh, also with romance built in there. And I said this when I reviewed it, but if you'd have told me that I was watching a, I was going to watch a horror comedy movie about people in high school whose heads were randomly exploding that I would be crying at the end of it, I would have called you crazy, but there I was. Well, I will definitely check it out for sure. Yeah, check that one out. Okay, so um, we'll say the final girls support group was both of our number fours then. Yeah, I mean, what... What are the odds? I love that. <laughs> I love that. And it, and, yeah, I mean, when I was reading it, it was like, oh, this is, and I, and I looked it up. It is in development. So it makes sense. Oh, okay. So we'll, we'll see where they go with it. But um, it will definitely be really fun for horror fans. Absolutely. All right. Um, on to my number three then here. My number three is the oldest one on my list. This one came out in 1979, but was actually written in 1967. It's a film or a book that I have no idea how it has not yet been made into a movie. It's The Long Walk by Stephen King. I haven't read that one. Oh, this, this is really good. So it was written under his pseudonym of Richard Bachman. Okay. And he really is like the running man under that name. And it's about a dystopian America. And a major source of entertainment is this thing called The Long Walk, in which 100 teenage boys walk without rest along U.S. Route 1. If they fall below a pace of four miles an hour, they receive three warnings and are subsequently shot by a group of soldiers on an accompanying tank. Oh, wow. And then the last boy left walking receives a large sum of money and a prize of his choice. So the book kind of focuses on this handful of kids each with their own motivations and personalities. Like one joined because he was just bored. Another joined out of spite for his father. One did it to support his family because he's got a baby on the way. And our main character is Ray Garrity. And at first we don't know why he joined, but we do know his motivation is to make it far enough to see his girlfriend in the crowd at a, one of the towns that they're going to walk through. This is a rare Stephen King book where there's no supernatural horror and it's mostly psychological horror. But with the popularity of these Battle Royale type of properties like Battle Royale, The Hunger Games, all these video games, I'm surprised that this hasn't been made by now. Now, it has been in development before. So in 1988, George Romero was going to direct an adaptation. And in 2007, Frank Darabont had the rights to it, which would have been amazing. He did uh, Shawshank, which we have already talked about. And... Uh, then in April 2018, it was announced that New Line was going to develop it with uh, James Vanderbilt to write and produce. And uh, just never... Oh, in 2019, New Line announced that they, that uh, Andre Ovdahl was going to direct the adaptation and just nothing has happened since then. So I'm really surprised it hasn't. But yeah, The Long Walk from 1979 is my number three. In terms of like actors and directors, so I was thinking, okay, it's it's a really bleak property, and in terms of bleakness, one of the most bleak movies I've ever seen was The Road in twenty oh, or so two thousand nine. Yeah, really great, but also really, really uh, dark and depressing. And John Hillcoat, I think, would be a great director for this. In terms of some of the the characters, I'll say that the character of Stebbin, when I read it. Uh, well, I was like reading some passages just to refresh on it. And Shia LaBeouf comes to mind as Stebbin, although he may be a little bit too old now. And then for the main character of Ray, I was thinking Finn Wolfhard from Stranger Things and uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife. Yes, he would be great. Yeah. Well, I mean, if anyone's listening here, we have done it for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, we're doing all your work for we're you. doing all your give work. Us, uh, <laughs> give us cons uh, console credits. Okay, awesome. Uh, okay, so my next one is called The Last House on Needless Street. I'm not entirely sure how you say her first name. Uh, I'm probably going to say it wrong, so I just apologize now. Uh, Kataronia Ward. Um, I'm just really not good with pronunciations of names, so. That's all right. Uh, yeah, so I'm going to try to give a synopsis of this uh, as best as I can without giving anything away because there are many, many twists and turns and it will ruin it if you know. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, spoiler-free uh, is best. Yes, so you're basically going to meet Ted, uh, who lives with his cat Olivia and his daughter Lauren in a really filthy house on Needless Street. The windows are boarded up, and the house is on the verge of falling apart. Uh, he wants to be left alone. He doesn't have any friends. 
And basically each chapter switches from different points of view. So you have his point of view, uh, a point of view from his daughter. You have a point of view from this woman that lives next door who is suspicious of him and always feels like he's hiding something, especially when a girl goes missing. And then you also have the POV of the cat, which is amazing. Uh, and you'll find out why when you read it. Um, that's all I can really say without giving away the twists. So that's basically uh, what it's about is uh, when this girl goes missing and, and uh, what happens after. So it just uh, read as a really um, interesting, fun uh, read. I, could, I feel like it would just make a really brilliant movie, especially when you find out what's actually going on in the house. Um, because you think you have it figured out and you don't at all. So that's uh, so she wrote a, a just fantastically twisted uh, a book. So I'm not sure. Um, I mean, Ted, as far as like the lead character, um, you know, someone that plays a really good uh, kind of recluse and like someone you think is a serial killer and may or may not be. <laughs> oh, yeah. Maybe like us. Um Oh, what the heck is his name? Ben Mendelsohn? Maybe like yeah. a Mendelsohn? Yeah, type uh, that's, you know, s suspicious uh, yeah. and may or not be. May or may not be. Or like a Mark Strong, maybe. Uh-huh. And then has, you know, he has the daughter. Um, and then the the, na the neighbor is kind of like the nosy neighbor. And then the cat is really important, too. So obviously you have the cat of cat, but. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Uh, maybe the nosy neighbor, like uh, Margot Martindale for the yes, nosy neighbor. Yes, yes. I'm not sure how they would do uh, do it with the different points of view, but I feel like there's a way. There's definitely a way you could. But if you haven't read it, which I don't, obviously you haven't, um, I would definitely recommend it. I, I would love to hear your thoughts if you do, because it just it just brilliantly takes you in a place you did not expect. So okay, Last House on Needless Street. I'll yeah. have to check that out. That was from you said 2021. Uh, when did it come out? It came out yes in 2021. 2021. Okay, cool. I will check that out. My number two is something that has, I, th I think they've tried to adapt this, and every single time they say it is unfilmable, this is 1985's Blood Meridian by Cormac McCarthy. Is this a book that you're familiar with? I am not, so please tell me. Okay, so this is, a from, from the description, an epic novel of the violence and depravity that attended America's westward expansion Blood Meridian brilliantly subverts the conventions of the Western novel and the mythology of the Wild West. Based on historical events that took place on the Texas-Mexico border in the 1850s, it traces the fortunes of a character named The Kid, a 14-year-old Tennessean who stumbles into the nightmarish world where Indians are being murdered and the market for their scalps is thriving. So this has long been deemed unfilmable because of two things. Uh, first, the violence, and then second, this character, the judge. So the violence first, this is like, it's probably the most violent book I've ever read. There's no um, like alliterations or parallels for the violence for anything. It's just violence for the sake of, of setting the tone of that kind right. of landscape. Uh, so extremely brutal. And then the second is this character, Judge Holden. So he's described as being close to seven feet tall, a huge tank, that is pale and hairless and almost seems mythical or supernatural. He's very, very educated, but he's also um, very, very violent. And he basically says that war is God. And we're not sure as we read it if he is an actual human being or if he is a God or if he is the devil. Uh, there's all kinds of all kinds of like stuff you can read into it. There have been so many attempts to make this. So um, let's see. Back in 1995, uh, screenwriter Steve Tesh adapted it into a screenplay, and Tommy Lee Jones then acquired the film rights with that screenplay, and he was going to direct it and play a role in it, and then that fell through. And then in 2004, after Kingdom of Heaven, Ridley Scott was going to direct this, and that fell through. Oh, my gosh. It's yeah, in 2011, James Franco was going to do it with um, Andrew Dominic, 
and they actually shot 25 minutes of test footage with Scott Glenn, Luke Perry, and Dave Franco in there. And then uh, in 2016, it was again, uh, this is five years after that, again, Franco was coming to the table. He had Russell Crowe, Ty Sheridan, and Vincent D'Onofrio on board, and then it fell apart again. So still has not been filmed, but I think at some point they will they will film it. In terms of the kid, uh, who would play the kid? You'd have to up the age a little bit from 14, but I think Robert Pattinson would be amazing in that role. He would have to up the age quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I, th- I think he would be great in that role. And then for Judge Holden, this like absolute beast who's supposed to be super pale and hairless, Alan Richman comes, or Alan Richson rather, comes to mind. He is the guy who just played Jack Reacher in the Amazon show Reacher. You'd have to shave his head and his eyebrows and stuff. Or uh, Joseph Gatt, who is a character actor who does that role. He's an albino who's just absolutely ripped and super huge. He would be good in that. And then in terms of director, I've always seen Andrew Dominic as a great director for this because he is a pretty uncompromising director or... Uh, dream dream director for something like this would be S. Craig Zoller. I think that would be amazing. Awesome. Well, hopefully, again, they're listening and you've done the work for them. So. Oh, uh, it sounds like they've tried to do the work on this one for a long time. <laughs> so maybe I'm the missing puzzle piece. Who yes. knows? Yes, exactly. <laughs> awesome. All right. The number two is uh, a movie that uh, <laughs> see there we go. A <laughs> yep. book that came out last year uh, called The Island by Adrian Mc. McKenty. Um, and it's about, uh, so basically it's about a family that decides they're going to go on vacation. Kind of is going to be a working vacation, um, but uh, to the Australian outback. And uh, they discover a, a remote island that's supposed to be off limits to visitors, but they convince, <laughs> because why wouldn't you? They convince a ferry uh, driver to take a chance on them and uh, take them. So once they, of course, they step foot on the island and it's run by, uh, you know, locals, uh, things start happening and everything starts going wrong. The The mother has, they have two kids. They're separated from the father and they're forced to kind of, the mother is kind of forced to save herself and the kids. Um, and then, you know, of course, chaos just ensues. So it just feels like an easy, uh, not easy, but, you know, like a just an obvious choice as far as like, you know, these kind of movies do well. They're fun, adventure, some horror, some thriller. Um, there's a lot of great, like, deaths and uh, just score and uh, some good twists. So I feel like it would be a fun movie. All right. That's the island. Um, is this, is there like a supernatural aspect to it or is there mostly just human? There was not. No, no supernatural. Okay. So uh, just, just, right. just humans. <laughs> <laughs> So let's see who would be somebody good to take something like this on. So ba- yeah, so basically, like the family, you've got you know the father. I think it's a stepmom, and then like two kids are the main characters. Let's see. In terms of like filmmaking, somebody that can make uh, a great movie where people are being hunted would be something like. Um, well, I don't know if you saw Twenty Twenties: The Hunt by Craig Zobel. Yes, I loved it. Yes. Yeah, he might be a good choice for something like that. Yeah, because they are literally being hunted by people um, and have to, you know, survive. So, uh, yeah. All right, that one I'm gonna add. I'm gonna add that one to my list because that sounds right up my alley. It's a e- really easy, fun read. Yeah. Okay. Cool. All right, number one here, grand finale time. Um, this is my favorite book of all time. And at one point, this was set for development, and I'll tell you by who here in a second. But the book is from 1994. It's a book called Dirty White Boys by uh, writer Stephen Hunter. Have you ever heard of this one before? I have not, no. So Stephen Hunter is, he made a lot of crime books. His um, swagger books are probably his most famous the uh, most famous of those swagger books was Shooter, which was turned into a movie with Mark Wahlberg. And this kind of takes place in that universe, but it's it's adjacent to the swagger stories. So this is about a couple of convicts who bust out of a state penitentiary. Lamar Pye is the main one. He is the prince of this group in prison called the Dirty White Boys. And his cousin is with him, his cousin Odell, who's this hulking man-child 
who has mental issues, but he he kind of lives to serve his cousin Lamar because his cousin uh, got him out of an abusive household when they were younger. And then the third is a guy named Richard who is literally, he's like the most meek guy possible, but Lamar and Odell bring him along because Lamar wants him to draw a tattoo for him. So that's the only reason he's around. It's a chase movie in in that these convicts are on the run, and then you have this guy, uh, Bud Pewdy, who's the, he's the uh, highway patrolman that's kind of after them because in their first standoff together, they killed his partner. So it's a, it's a chase it's a chase book here, but it's got a couple of really, really fun things. Um, first off, the writing style from Stephen Hunter is so, it's so great. It's so addicting. Uh, for example, the very first sentence in the book, and mind you, I read this when I was maybe 13, maybe, maybe 12 or 13. The first paragraph starts off with a fuck and a you and a fuck and a you because the main character or the main bad guy he has fuck and a tattooed across one of his hands and then a U on the other and he's oh, punching great. somebody. So it's like a fuck to the face and a U to the face. It just keeps you really, really entertained all the way through. There's some strange family unit stuff in there between the three characters and then uh, a girl named Ruth who later joins the, the convict band. And then there's a really flawed hero. Like at first he seems like this kind of all-American agent of the law and then you find out he's actually having an affair with somebody that he shouldn't be which plays heavily into the rest of the movie it's a really really entertaining breakneck book and uh in 2014 benioff and weiss from game of thrones were planning this as their first feature with fox and i remember it was announced i was super excited and then it just fell off the face of the earth and i haven't heard anything since so i've been really uh waiting for this it's an extremely cinematic book the uh, the one phrase, and this is the the quote from the book that I think would would uh, cement my actor as Lamar Pye, the main bad guy. He says, yeah. "You watch, Trooper. I'm gonna cut a path across this state. Nobody won't never forget. A hundred years from now, daddies will scare their young kids to sleep with tales of mean old Lamar Pye, the he lion of Oklahoma." And I can't see anybody saying that line other than John Bernthal. I think oh, he would yeah, be amazing in this room. Yeah. So good. And then uh, in terms of like Bud, the the law enforcement guy, dream casting, Brad Pitt, I think would be great in that role. I think he's just rugged enough and just handsome enough to do it. Odell's a tough one because he's like this hulking man child. But I'm thinking if you if you scale back the size a bit, maybe like a Jesse Plemons type of character actor. And then uh, Richard, this meek, tattoo artist i was thinking sean whalen could be a really yeah. great uh really great in that role and then director you know for a comeback maybe somebody who's done amazing offbeat crime films walter hill if we could get walter hill on that it'd be amazing and if if we got to go with somebody newer maybe like a jeremy saulnier from uh blue ruin and green room i think would be great i love that i will definitely check that out too like now these are just great books that i need to check out huh <laughs> I, I really, really recommend it. It's it's one of those books that you will not put down. It's the only book I think I've ever read three times. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Well, I will definitely check it out and let you know. Um, so my my last one is The Hiding Place by C.J. Tudor, or also could be called The Taking of Annie Thorne, depending on uh, which book you get. Uh, it's the same thing. But uh, one I think one is like maybe the UK version or something. Um it has a little bit of Stephen King Pet Cemetery vibes, but it's a different enough that it's not the same same story. But she definitely is. Even says she says that uh, she is definitely inspired by Stephen King, and I love him. So this uh, uh, was really a fun read. Uh, so basically, it's about uh, one night, uh, Joe Thorne's little sister disappears from her bed. Two days later, when the town of Arnhill assumes she's dead, Annie returns. But something is not quite right. Now as an adult, Joe returns to the place he's tried to desperately escape, as it's all happening again. Because the worst night of Joe's life is not when his little sister vanished, but the day she came back. So that's what that is about. Again, don't want to give too much away, spoilers, uh, because it's definitely a fun uh you know, if you're a Stephen King fan, if you're a thriller, a fanatic, uh, 
If you love the paranormal, um, this book is definitely for you. Uh, one of my favorite quotes in it, since you quoted uh, uh, some of the book, is uh, it's not the dead you need to be scared of, love. It's the living. <laughs> oh, that's, oh, I was like, that's right. so very true. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that one, uh, I'm, I'm not sure again, uh, it, it, you know, would be, uh, kind of goes back and forth, uh, between now, present time, you know, now Joe is an adult and he's a teacher, um, trying to forget the past of, uh, you know, of what happened back then. And he has to, you know, go back to, um, the town that he grew up in when things start happening again, um. And that flashes back to when he's young and dealing with uh, his sister disappearing and all of that. So uh, there's a good kind of back and forth. And it definitely lends itself to a horror thriller um, movie for sure. Well, you've given me a lot of things to put on my on my reading list. I mean, yeah, I'm definitely excited. This one's called The Hiding Place. The Hiding Place. And she's actually written quite a few books and they're all have been excellent so far. So uh, but that this was the first one I read of hers, but they've all been great. So. Any, anything you pick up. Has she had anything adapted before? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think of any any of them have been made into movies yet. Okay, come on, Hollywood. Let's stop making all these live-action yeah. Disney remakes and jump on some some of these properties. I know. Well, there's there's one that I was that I read just uh, last year called Brother um, that I, I found out is being made, uh, you know, is being made into a movie, and I was very excited. Um, <laughs> it's very very dark material um it's basically about a family who lives uh in the appalachian mountains who are um cannibals <laughs> um but but it i mean the twists and turns of it are uh fantastic so i definitely uh but you have to have the stomach for it um <laughs> it is not for the faint of heart um because stuff is graphic and uh you know, if you're if you're squeamish, I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend this one. But it was it is really well written, so I'm excited to see what they're gonna do uh, with it. All right, so that's brother, yeah, I, and that kind of is the same with my uh, with my number two pick, Blood Meridian. If you don't have the stomach for for that kind of stuff, steer clear of that one. Um, aside from brother, did you have any other honorable mentions that maybe didn't make your list that you wanted to mention? Um, oh gosh, I mean, there's so many good. So many great books. Um, like I said, I have an Actors Who Book Instagram, so if anybody wants to check it out, uh, you can get a lot of good. I mean, we read a lot of like thriller-type books. Um, some romance stuff, too, uh, depending on. Uh, but some, I mean, uh, The Maid, I think, is, is getting made into a movie uh, with Florence Pugh. That was really interesting. Um, so... I, I don't know. I mean, there's so many. It's hard to. It's hard to even. Um, it's hard to make a list of five, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. I had two that I that narrowly missed my list. The first was called "Caught Stealing" by Charlie Houston. Uh, I think that whole that whole series that he did. I think he has three different uh, three different books of the same character. I'm forgetting his name because I didn't do a refresh on that one. But it was a really good book and a really good. Uh, I could see Robert Downey Jr. playing the lead character in those movies, like an ex-baseball player who's just a washed-up bartender getting beat down at every corner. And then uh, A Congregation of Jackals. So I mentioned S. Craig Zoller, as a, who, who would be my dream director for Blood Meridian. He did, um, he did, oh, what the hell is it called? Bone Tomahawk. Bone Tomahawk, which is okay. an amazing movie. And he also is a writer, and one of his books is called a congreg a congregation of jackals and it is a, a really really good book the only reason i didn't put it on my list is because in terms of themes i thought it was a little too close to uh blood meridian just because it also takes place in the wild west and i wanted a little bit of a uh, variety on here but those are those are the two that narrowly missed my list awesome well some great you know great stuff to check out uh regardless of you know, people listening, they can check out the books <laughs> until they're made into movies. Yeah, check out the books, get the audio books, get the Kindle books, go to your library, all kinds of great ways to, to find these. Um, let's just recap real quick before we do our final plugs here. Um, so we'll do our lists again, five to one. I will go first. So on my list, I had at number five, Severance Package from 2008. My number four was the Final Girl Support Group. 
My number three was The Long Walk by Stephen King. My number two was Blood Meridian by Cormac McCarthy. And my number one was Dirty White Boys by Stephen Hunter. All right. And I had uh, How to Sell a Haunted House by Grady Hendrix. The Last House on Needless Street by, again, I can't, not sure how I'm pronouncing this right, uh, Cateronia's Ward, The Island by Adrian McGinty, The Hiding Place by C.J. Tudor, and then also The Final Girl Support Group <laughs> by Grady Hendrix. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I can't believe, I still can't believe we crossed over on one, but it's amazing that we did. Everybody's got to go check that out. Well, especially because books. I mean, we yeah. know it's much easier to cross, but books especially, that's like crazy. Totally. All right. Uh, Rebecca Kennedy, before we get you out of here, where can people find more of you online? Yeah, I'm on uh, Instagram at Becca, B-E-K-A-H-K. Um, I'm Twitter, Rebecca Kennedy, R-E-B-E-K-A-H uh, Kennedy. Um, also on Facebook, uh, but the other two are a little bit easier um, to find me as far as I'm, I'm at, kind of at my max Facebook friends. Um, but yeah. Um, and then... Uh, yeah, and then all the movies you, you know, the movies, I'm in the movies. <laughs> She's in the movies, and I will have links to all of this stuff in the show notes. Make sure to go watch Unseen when it comes out June 30th, and make sure to pick up Two Witches. And, of course, when Crust comes out, I will be uh, tweeting that out, so make sure to, to keep your eyes open for that. Rebecca Kennedy, thank you so much for coming on. I had an amazing time with this topic, and it and it's given me things to add to my read list for sure. Well, same. I'm so glad we uh, did this. Thank you so much for having me. And um, it's glad to be able to nerd out with books. Links to everything Rebecca Kennedy and Force 5 are in the show notes. Links to stuff, social media, all of it. I make it easy for you to support the people that are on this show. And if you'd like to support me, please take two minutes, review Force 5 wherever you get your podcasts and tell your friends about the show. Those two very free very simple things really help my show audience grow. The bumpers today come courtesy of Nate Spears. The top five list bumper was produced by me with music from Audio Binger. Until next time, stay safe, stay sane, go read some really cool books, and go watch The Unseen. You're going to find that in theaters June 30th.